Good morning. All right, you guys are awake. I know you're awake because I could hear you singing. That was wonderful. I love it. There's a little more, a little more space. You guys are like, I have a little elbow room now. You know, I can kind of wiggle around. It's not so hot in here with all the bodies. You guys are the, the ones who got up early, as if 9 o'clock is early. <laughs> Some of you are like, I'm on my second coffee already by 9 o'clock, my second breakfast uh, by 9 o'clock. But I uh, appreciate you guys being here. Hey, we're just figuring this out together, uh, how we're doing this. There's no surprises. There's Nothing's going to change. The mission doesn't change. What we do doesn't change. Uh, we're going to preach God's word. We're going to spend time in it. We're going to fellowship together. We're going to sing. And the only thing that changes is what hour you decide to show up at. Um, but you'll see the same thing. And um, this is just an exciting time in our church. And we're taking a step of faith, right? In moments like this, we, we step out and say, okay, Lord, we believe this is what you're asking us to do. And uh, we're going to do it. And unless you decide to shut it down, then we'll continue doing it. And, and our role in all of this is to be faithful. Just be faithful. Don't change the play. God gave us the play. We talked about it the last two weeks. God gave us the play. Make a mature disciples of Jesus Christ. And we just line up under center and hike the ball and run the play. Everything's going to be fine. I got to use a football illustration right there, okay? Because it's the football season. And that might be why you're here at the 9 o'clock hour <laughs> right now. Um, because at 10.30, all the games start, okay? All right, all the ESPN alerts are off right now because uh, your fantasy team is going to do what it's going to do. But uh, right now, we're focused in uh, right here. So, and, and Seattle plays tomorrow night, okay? So uh, we're dialed in right here. All right, 1 Peter chapter 3. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 3 together. We are back in this wonderful book. We took a break. If you are newer with us, uh, join us over the summer. Uh, we have been studying this wonderful book and took a break uh, to do some topical things. And uh, we are back in it now in chapter 3. Just to set up the context, just to kind of dust off what uh, uh, maybe the dust kind of settled in your, your minds about First Peter 3. I'm going to dust it off a little bit. Uh, get the context back. Uh, this is a time when Peter writes a letter to these persecuted Christians who are under the reign or the oppressive thumb of Nero. And these persecuted Christians are wondering how they're supposed to live the Christian life. And so Peter writes this book to them, explaining to them, first of all, in verse 3, that you have hope, you have a living hope in Jesus Christ. Don't lose hope. Don't put your hope in this world. Put your hope in Jesus Christ. He is alive. He goes on from there and he starts to explain the gospel. And he tells us in chapter 1 in verse, uh, verse 18 that, and 19 that you were ransomed from the feudal ways of your forefathers or, uh, of perishable things like silver and gold. But with the precious blood of Christ, you have been redeemed. He goes on in chapter 2 and he reminds us that we are to long for the, the pure spiritual milk of the word and desire it just like a newborn baby. At the end of chapter 2, or at the middle of chapter 2, uh, down in verses 9 to 11, he tells us of our identity in Jesus Christ, that we are a chosen people, a, a royal priesthood, a, a holy nation. That's who you are. And then in verse 11 and 12, or 
more specifically in verse 12, he, there's this turning of the corner then from this theology to now this practical, how do we do this? Well, how do we keep your, your conduct among the Gentiles honorable? How do you do that? And he, he, he then goes from verse 13 down uh, really to, to where we're at now in chapter 3 all the way to verse 7 to talk about submission. Humbly submitting. Christians humbly submit to authority. In the first place he talked about that, and if you weren't here for it, you can go back and, and listen to it on YouTube. That's so weird saying that, by the way. Go back to YouTube. And we talked about submitting to the government and what that means. We talked about submitting in the workplace, verse 18, and what, what that means. But we know this in both cases and in every case when it comes to submitting to human authority, no human authority has absolute rule. God has absolute rule. So submission to human authority is not absolute. There are times when we absolutely cannot submit because we are asked to do something that goes against the word of God. But the humble position of the believer is to submission. And we get to chapter 3 now as we talked first about submission to the government. We talked about submission to unruly masters, unruly bosses. Now we are talking about submission in the home or in the family unit. And if the family is going to function as God intended it to be, if the family is going to function as God designed it to be, then the same principle of submission must be observed. In fact, if you're going to keep your conduct honorable, as it says in verse 12, you're going to keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, then this must be lived out within the family union. Now, I want you to notice this as before we even read it. We'll read it here in a second, uh, chapter 3, verses 1, 1 to 6 together, or even 1 to 7, because uh, we want to throw in the men there, the husbands. It's important to note this, that we're talking about a mixed marriage here of a believer to an unbeliever. A believer to an unbeliever, and the t context here is this, believers to a pagan government, believers to a pagan boss, and now a wife to a pagan husband. That's the context. But the principle here applies to all marriages. And the goal is the same in all of it. Look at verse 1. It says there in the, in the third line there that they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. If you go back and look in, in chapter 2 in verse 12, what's the goal of keeping your conduct among the Gentiles honorable? What? That they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. The goal is the same in all of our submission to authority that people would be one for Christ. That people would come to the knowledge of, of Jesus Christ. Now I recognize this as I jump into this. And you're like, wow, you're going to kick off two services with a passage on wives submitting to their husbands. Well, I just told you, nothing changes. We just go and preach the next verse. I'm not going to say, oh, I'm going to skip this because it's the first time we do two services. No, that's, that's not what we do. We boldly and courageously let the word of God speak. And this is what comes next. And I recognize this too, that I'm speaking primarily to women this morning. But husbands, you need to pay attention as well. Your day is coming next week. So wives, make sure your husband is here next week. And men, no excuses. I want to see you here next week. 
This is the blueprint for a healthy marriage. This is a blueprint for a God-honoring marriage. And I want to make sure that we understand that together. Let's read it, 1 Peter chapter 3, with that in mind. Verses 1 to, 1 to 7 together. This is what it says. It says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold or jewelry or the, the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. It starts out with this word likewise, tying together what we just talked about, the context of submission now into the family unit. Wives are display this submissive spirit in the same way that those who are working for an unruly boss submit to an unruly boss. The same way that, that we as a society submit to a, a government that can be unruly. It's the same submissive spirit here. The same goal is here that, that they would win over their unbelieving husband. And when it comes to submission, when it comes to that word, be subject to, we need to understand this, that that word means to line up underneath the leadership of the husband. It does not mean that they dominate. It does not mean that they demean. It does not mean that they, they undermine. It means that they follow the biblical headship of leadership within the home. And wives line up underneath that headship. There's two points that I want to talk about here when it comes to, to being a, a godly wife within the home. And the first one, this, is a godly wife's spiritual submission. And we need to understand this about submission as well. Submission, and this is probably the most important thing that we can understand about submission, is this, is that submission does not mean less value or worth. We need to understand this, that God made both male and female, that we are both made in the image of God. We are both image bearers of God. We are his creation. He gave some to be male, some to be female. There is no other gender in that male and female. He gave dignity, value, and worth simply by being his creation and even more so by being his children. Galatians 3.28 says it this way. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. What is he saying this? He's saying before God, there is only oneness. 
A woman is not inferior to a man in terms of spiritual citizenship. A lady has direct access to God through the high priest, Jesus Christ, just as much as a man does. What it says here in Galatians chapter 3 is that the Apostle Paul is proclaiming our oneness in Jesus Christ. We are all sons and daughters through faith in Jesus Christ. I want you to uh, do something with me. Turn over to Genesis. You know, a lot of theology can be found just in the first few chapters of Genesis. You guys are like, I, you go to Genesis a lot. Genesis chapter 1. Let's go back to when God created male and female. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27. It says this. After God had created all different kinds of things, the earth and everything that's in it, verse 27, it says this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Here it is. Male and female, he created them. God created man and woman in his own image. Each one has their own personality, their own will, their own intellect. They can think, they can feel, they can respond, they can choose. And each was created, as I said, male or female, and both are equal in value and worth to God. Now notice in verse 28, this is so great. What is is the next thing he says? And God what? And God blessed them. God blessed them. And then he said what? God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and the heavens and every other living thing that moves on the earth. What does God do? God gives this newly married couple the task of ruling together. Ruling together. All of lower creation. If you drop down in chapter 2 then, in verse 18, he expands on what this looks like. In verse 18, he says, God said it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for himself. Now out of the ground, uh, uh, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every, every bird of heaven. He brought them to man to see what God would call them. And whatever man uh, uh, called every living creature, that was its name. The, the man gave names to all the livestock, to all the birds of the, of the heavens and the beasts of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, uh, took one of the ribs and, and closed up its place with the flesh. And the rib that the Lord had made had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Can you just imagine? You, here's Adam, the only person on the earth, just him, just this guy. And all these animals. And he's just living life with animals. He's like, you are a aardvark? Giraffe. (laughs) I mean, just in the garden with this. He falls asleep. He wakes up the next day, and there's this beautiful woman there. The Lord had brought Adam and Eve together. It's not good for man to be alone. Adam and Eve were equal in value, equal in worth, equal in identity. 
Even in purpose, and uh, here they are told to, to rule the earth, to be fruitful and multiply. Equal in all those things, but listen church, not equal in roles. The roles are different. The function is different. Adam would take the role of headship, leadership in the home, and it says there very clearly that that out of the ground, the Lord God created Eve and that Eve would be a suitable helper fit for him. And they had the most beautiful union you could have in a marriage. When both understand their value, both understand their worth, and both complete their roles. It was glorious. It was perfect. You say, is there anywhere else in the Bible other than this relationship where there's this understanding of submission between relationships? And yes, there is. I want you to see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 in verse 3. First Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, it says this. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband. Here it is. This is, this is the part you can, you can underline. And the head of Christ is God. Wait a minute. What are you talking about? The head of Christ is God? We're talking about the Trinity here. What are we saying here? Those who understand the Trinity understand that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and we know that they are co-eternal and they are co-equal, that they are equal in power and in eternity and in every other way. There is no distinction between the members of the Trinity, but there is this this mutual understanding within the Trinity that that God the, the Son submits to God the Father. The same. In equal, in worth, and in dignity, it is one God, but yet God the Son uh, lines up underneath God the Father and submits to him. And, and we could track this all through the Gospel of John, where Jesus is constantly saying, I only do the will of the Father. I only do what God the Father says for me to do. Lining up underneath the authority of God the Father, it is the same picture right there that we have within the home. This isn't a unique case. This is just a reflection of the Trinity. As Jesus would submit to God the Father, Alistair Begg says this, the husband, I'd, I'd use the, the accent, the Irish accent for those of you who are Irish, but I, I can't. It's in my head right now, um, but I'm not going to do it. He says this, the husband and wife's spiritual natures are the same. The husband and wife are equal before God. But in order for the family to function in harmony, the woman, with no loss of dignity, takes the place of submission to the headship of her husband in the same way as Christ, with no loss of dignity, took the place of submission to the headship of his heavenly father. We need to understand what the Bible is saying. In God's perfect design for a family, 
is such that he has made it that the woman's tenderness and gentleness are to dovetail with the husband's strength in leadership. And we need to understand this, that, that headship and submission are not battling one another. They're not at odds with one another. They're not in competition with one another. Unless we try to reverse the roles, unless one tries to do both roles, then it becomes a battle. When we decide that God's blueprint for marriage actually isn't a very good one, and I'm going to take matters into my own hands, and I'm going to try to fulfill every role within the family unit, that's when it becomes a battle. That's when we undermine Scripture and the beautiful blueprint that God has for marriage. But this also means this, and husbands, this is, tune in. Men, tune in right now. You need to take the responsibility of headship seriously. You are the leader. You set the tone. You control the culture within your home. You need to provide and protect your wife. You need to lead her physically and spiritually and emotionally. Listen, this passage elevates the role of the husband. You can't abandon that responsibility. In 1 Corinthians 7:14, it says this: for the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife. We can't abandon our responsibility, men. God's design for marriage is that you would lead. The wife would come underneath, submit to the husband, and together they fulfill the purpose to glorify God together in their union. In fact, they believe that in this union that they can better glorify God than they could separately. You say this, and maybe you are thinking this. What if my husband's not a believer? What if my husband has abandoned his role? What if my husband is not leading spiritually? What if my husband is an absentee husband? What if my husband cares more about, and I joked about this, but this is true. What if he cares more about football and fantasy football than he does his wife? What if he cares more about work than he does his wife? Well, what am I supposed to do then, pastor? <laughs> Thankfully, you don't have to listen to me. You can listen to God because he speaks very clearly on this. This is what he says. Are you there in 1 Peter? I'm in 1 Corinthians, but in 1 Peter 3, it says this. Wives, be subject to your own husband so that even if some do not obey the word, They may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. Absentee husbands. Your wife doesn't get to fill in that role and become the head. Because you've abandoned that position. That's not her role. She'll have the tendency to do that in Genesis chapter 3. And look at She'll have the tendency to want to do that. But the husband there is by design the one who is to lead. 
What is the wife supposed to do? She's supposed to continue to submit to her husband. Why? So that they may be one without a word of the conduct of their wives. Notice this, that her conduct is to be that of submitting to her husband, not preaching at her husband, not nagging her husband, reminding him, hey, you need to lead, you need to lead, you need to lead, you need to lead. No, she submits with what? A gentle and quiet spirit in obedience to the word of God. And that obedience to the word of God with a gentle and quiet spirit will be the most effective outreach that she can have. She's subject with a gentle and quiet spirit. So that the husband would be one through the eyes and not through the ears. He will see her in the word. He will see her praying. He will see her devotion to the church, her devotion to the Lord. He will see her gentleness with people, her devotion to him. The husband would even, even see when he is even checked out. He would even see that even when he is lazy, his wife is pursuing the things of the Lord, not even saying a word, but by her actions, she would win him over. She would see her warmth with others, and her behavior then would illuminate her theology. Her behavior then would illuminate Christ within her life. And as I said in 1 Corinthians 7, 14, the unbelieving husband is a holy wife because of his wife. What does that mean? That the blessings of obedience in the woman uh, spill over onto the man. And he doesn't even know it. He doesn't even understand it. He's blessed because of the obedience of his wife. So there's a spiritual submission of a godly wife. Secondly, there's this, as it goes on and tells us, as they may be one without the word of their wives, they would see their respectful and pure conduct as this, a godly wife's biblical beauty. A godly wife's biblical beauty, look what it says. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let the braiding of, uh, adorn, or let, let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold or jewelry or the the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Underline it. Ladies, underline this, which is in God's sight very precious. Peter's talking here about a biblical beauty by remaining pure, staying faithful to your spouse. Your conduct is pure. You have respect for him, even though he's not following the Lord. And that faithfulness and respect, listen, it's displayed in how you dress, how you adorn yourself. You will remain so faithful to your unbelieving husband that you will not dress in such a way that will draw sexual attention to yourself. That's how faithful you're going to be. You don't want the attention. You don't want the eye of other men upon you. You're so devoted to pure conduct and the hopes and prayers that, that the Lord's going to use that to win over your husband. That your primary concern is your character and your heart. 
says, don't let your adorning be external, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart. And we understand this, that, that he's not saying you can't, you can't braid your hair, or you, you can't comb your hair. Uh, thankfully, that's not what that means. Um, it doesn't mean that you can't put on nice clothes. doesn't mean that you can't wear jewelry. Peter isn't saying that you can't look nice or look appropriate for the occasion. Peter's not saying any of those things. What Peter is saying is this, the emphasis needs to be on the heart. Be preoccupied with your heart and your character. He's not saying don't care about your looks or look disheveled or sloppy or don't care at all about the outside. He's not saying any of those things. Look appropriate for the context of where you're going. Be preoccupied with the inner beauty of the heart. That word there, adorning, it's used twice in there. That word adorning there comes from the Greek word cosmetics. It has the idea of, of placing on things onto your body that are going to attract and glisten and light up and sparkle and draw attention to yourself. And in that day, it, it was the braiding of hair. It was this massive braiding of hair that even kind of go way up the head. Thankfully, that's not in style anymore. It was dyeing your hair bold colors and bright colors, all to draw the attention of others upon yourself. Excessive jewelry, again, to draw attention upon yourselves, rings and necklaces, and all of it was just so over the top. And he's not saying you can't do any of those things. But he's saying this, let your adornment, let that what is attractive about you, you ready? Be the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. And when daughters of the living God spend their time working on the heart, this is precious to him. You are precious to him. It warms the heart of God to see you being gentle, which means this, calm and peaceful and you're in control with your emotions and you're in control with your speech and there's a gentleness about you. There's a calm with about you and when people come up around you, they feel relaxed and at ease and warm. While man looks at the outward appearance, it is God that looks at the heart and it's the inner imperishable beauty that just shines forth. And it's imperishable. Maybe there is this morning, sitting in front of me, single ladies out there who want to get married and are wanting to buy into the culture that says you need to dress and look a certain way to win a man. Fight the culture. It's not true. Push back against the culture. Don't let the culture decide your clothing. You don't want a man that wants that anyway. Maybe it is that you've got a son or a daughter and you're raising them right now. Would you pour into your, your daughter that the most beautiful thing about her is going to be her heart? Teach her, raise her in such a way that she's more concerned about what's going on inside than what the world is telling her to do with the outside of her. Raise your boys to appreciate and value 
the character of a woman and not the cosmetics of a woman. Teach your kids what is precious to God. What is precious to God? It tells us exactly what is precious to God. The heart of the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Teach your children that. And you're going to fight the culture, okay? You're going to fight the culture on this. Man, stand up and fight. Let's do it. Let's fight. Let the world see what's going on in the heart. God has called Christian women to a higher standard. God has called Christian men to a higher standard. Women of dignity, women of value, women of worth, daughters of God who care about the character and kindness of their hearts and what others see within them. And we need to take the lead. We need to take courage. We need to take boldness and stand up and stand out in these ways. The true and perishable beauty of a godly woman comes from the heart. There's an illustration there of what this looks like, and that's Sarah. She obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, lining up underneath the leadership of Abraham, and Abraham didn't do everything right. He says, and you are, you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Let me just close again with a, a quote here, and we'll take communion. It says this. Again, by Alistair Begg, he says this, Peter is not implying the sexual inferiority of women. Submission, which he calls for, does not negate the spiritual equality of husband and wife, but rather it is one of function. Every team must have a captain, every home ahead. And God said that responsibility falls to the man. The characteristic, therefore, most desirable in a good wife is that gentle and quiet spirit which responds with grace to the responsible decisions of her husband. Instead of being tyrannized by the evidences of the aging process and captivated by the changing fashions of the day, she is to focus on what which God prizes most and which he produces to the praise of his glory. These verses are dynamic, and we must help our wives and daughters to discover the joy of bowing beneath their direction and displaying the radical implications of them in a society that is scrambling to find the identity of a real woman and a true wife. And so we all sit here this morning under the weight of Scripture, don't we? We have roles. We have purpose. We have a way in which we will display the glory of God in our lives in the way that we treat one another and in the way that we function within the home. And when we do it the right way, when we do it the biblical way, God is honored. And the family unit is blessed. Well, next week, verse 7, likewise, husbands, husbands, I'm going to go harder after you, just so you know. I, I, I'm, I'm serious. All right, so come back. 
because I put a lot of responsibility on the men when it comes to the marriage. And so all the, hus- all the wives are saying, you're, you're coming with me tomorrow or next, tomorrow too. Come tomorrow. I'll still tell you tomorrow in my office. Let's see, I'm ready to go right now. You know, I can't tell. I'm, re- I'm ready to do this. I'm my punching bags in the back, you know, gloves, we're ready, ready to do this. Let me pray for us and we'll take communion. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Lord, may our heart's desire be that we just want to live underneath the submission of Christ and his word and to obey it as best as we can. And these are hard truths. This isn't easy. Some may be hearing this for the first time going, what in the world? How do I, what? Still trying to make sense of all of it. And we trust the spirit to, to kind of tie together those loose pieces. There's, there's those this morning who are saying, man, there's some things I need to work on as a, as a husband. And saying, man, I got to step up my, my leadership game. I need to start protecting my wife, providing for my wife. I, I, I need to start leading her in, in times of prayer and devotion to you. And, and that's a good thing to feel that. And I pray that they take that and practice it. And there's wives who are saying, I need to, I need to submit and line up underneath the, the headship of the home, my, my husband. And, and there's times when I don't agree with his decisions. There's times where I think I could do it better and, and we, I could lead this home in a better way. But instead of thinking like the culture, I'm going to think biblically. And what, what God has designed it to be. Praying that because of obedience and through obedience, our family would be blessed. So help us in these things, Lord. I pray that all this was received in love. And now would we apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.